There was a study done earlier this year from the American Survey Center called The State of American Friendship. Uh, here's what it says. Coming out of a once-in-a-generation global panic pandemic, it would be nice to say we were coming out of it, right? Americans appear more attuned than ever to the importance of friendship. However, despite renewed interest in the topic of friendship in popular culture, uh, signs suggest that the role of friends in American social life is experiencing a profound decline. This survey finds that Americans are reporting having fewer close friendships than they once did, talking to their friends less often, relying less on their friends for personal support. Now, while the pandemic may be the most obvious culprit in the national friendship decline, the survey notes that broader structural forces may be playing a more important role. Americans are marrying later than ever and are more geographically mobile than in the past, two trends that strongly associated with increasing rates of social isolation and feelings of loneliness. American parents, this is interesting, American parents are spending twice as much time with their children compared to previous generations, crowding out other types of relationships, including friendships. There may be an excess of parental hovering over children at the expense of the development of friendships. All teenagers are going, amen, preach it, Pastor Scott. Um, Americans are working longer hours and traveling more for work, which may come at the cost of maintaining and developing friendships. In fact, Americans are now more likely to make friends at work than any other way, including at school, their neighborhood, at their place of worship, or even through existing friends. And we could add to this just the fact of social media as a false substitute for genuine person-to-person -person relationship. All of that to say, friendship is at risk in our nation. It may be at risk in your life. We're in a series in this letter of Paul to the Philippians called Struggling Well, the Joy of the Christian Journey. And we've been talking about issues that enable us to struggle well. So in chapter 2 already, we have looked at struggling well by doing nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but looking counting others more significant than ourselves, struggling well by looking to Christ's example of such sacrifice, becoming, uh, humbling himself even to the point of death, death on a cross, of being able to recognize that there's a call to us to work out our own salvation, recognizing that it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And now we come to what I believe to be the most personal part of this letter, and I invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. There is a way for us to think about Paul 
in kind of an abstract saintly notion, right? Like he's not quite human. He's this guy that lived a long time ago and he's just kind of really smart and he's really spiritual and he's not at all like me. And here in these verses, I hope that it will reveal to you that the Apostle Paul is in fact a real man in a real world with real struggles and he has real friends. And they do all kinds of things like living and getting sick and suffering together. They do it together. Struggling well by having meaningful friendships. Now there's two points of view that I want you to think about this account. First, look at it from the point of view of the Apostle Paul, how he needs significant friendships in his life. So that you'll conclude, I need significant friendships in my life. And then look at it also from the point of view of Paul's friends, that you would look at it, I need to become a significant friend to others. Do you capture those two ideas? First, you need friends, but you also need to be a friend, okay? So with that in mind, let's stand for the reading of Scripture, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has worked or served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Please have a seat. Struggling well requires selfless friends. In verses 19 through 24, Paul addresses his friend, uh, addresses the Philippians about his friend Timothy. And so let's think about Timothy for a moment. Uh, Timothy he says he hopes in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to the Philippians soon um, so that 
he too would be cheered by the news that he would receive from Timothy about the Philippians. Uh, Timothy is a selfless friend for Paul. Just how selfless I want to kind of take a little bit of time to share with you. He helps to get work done, and one of the ways he helps to get work done is his willingness to travel and get sent great distances at the uh, urging, uh, even the, perhaps even the orders of the Apostle Paul. So let me give you a little bit of a survey of what has happened in Timothy's life and his travels with Paul uh, up until the point at which Paul writes this letter. Um, in Acts chapter 17, uh, Timothy stayed at Berea while Paul went continuing on his journey and they rejoined one another at Corinth. Then Timothy was sent to Thessalonica, reported back to Paul at Corinth, and then Paul took 1 Thessalonians, which is the letter Paul wrote, back to Thessalonica, and then he went back to Corinth, and then he carried 2 Thessalonians back to Thessalonica. Paul and Timothy eventually find their way to Ephesus, and Timothy is sent to Corinth in order to deal with some church problems there, and then he returns to Paul and then is sent to Macedonia. Paul joins him there where he writes 2 Corinthians. Paul, Timothy eventually accompanies Paul to Jerusalem and ends up in Rome with Paul where Paul is imprisoned and probably joined Paul on that fateful journey via ship through the Mediterranean where they were shipwrecked. Later, um, Paul is in Macedonia and writes to Timothy in Ephesus, but that happens after he writes this letter to the Philippians. At the point at which this letter is being written, Timothy is with Paul, Paul is imprisoned, and the Philippians have asked Paul, send us Timothy that we may be encouraged by him. So, Timothy's a guy who's helped Paul get work done, and he cares for people. He cares for people deeply. Notice how the very next verse, verse 20, reads, for I have no one like him. That's an amazing thing to say about a friend, isn't it? I have nobody like him who will be genuinely concerned about your welfare. <laughs> the actual interest I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but it's, it's happened to me from time to time where someone will say, hey, how are you? And they seem genuinely interested, so you start to say, well, actually, here's some things that are going on in my life, and you see their eyes glaze over. <laughs> You're thinking, oh, I didn't realize they weren't really asking that question seriously. Timothy is always going to be the guy who's genuinely interested in your welfare. That's the kind of friend he is. And then the very next verse, verse 21, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Who's he talking about here? They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. I think it's a reference back to chapter 1, verse 15, where Paul says there are people who indeed preach Christ, they get the gospel message right, but they're doing it out of rivalry and envy, um, 
they're doing it according to verse 17 out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They're looking after their own interests. Yeah, they have the message right, but they're not really that interested in proclaiming Christ in a, in, in a way that genuinely is concerned for people. They're just, they just get it right, but they're actually trying to do me harm in doing it right. Paul says they all seek their own interests. This reminds us, doesn't it, of chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul says, Timothy, I got nobody like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. A second kind of corollary to this in Timothy's remarkable friendship is not only is he not interested in his own interests, not only is he interested in the interests of others, but here Paul makes the special notation that Timothy is interested in the interests of Jesus Christ. What that means is that he will be a friend who won't just tell you what you want to hear, he will tell you what Jesus Christ wants you to hear. He's interested in the interests of Christ. And there are some friends that, while they may be good friends, they're just telling you what you want to hear. And sometimes it becomes very easy then for us in our development of friendships only to gather friendships of people who will just tell us what we like. Timothy cares enough about people to tell them even what they don't like if it is the interests of Jesus Christ. He cares for people. Um, I would add that he is a fat person. By fat, it's an acronym, F-A-T. Timothy is faithful. He is a faithful friend. He's going to be there for Paul. He's available. He's always at the ready. And he is teachable. And those are the kind of friends that we all want to have in life. People who are faithful, available, and teachable. Notice how Paul describes this in the very next verse. Verse 22, you know, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy's not just loyal to the gospel, he's loyal to Paul. He's not just faithful in ministry, he's faithful as a friend. He's not just teachable about the content of the gospel, but he is teachable about how to do stuff. Let me ask you a question to try to bring this home to the reality that these are two guys who really lived. They're real persons. Do you think that there was ever a time in any of the travels that they had, and think about hundreds of miles, all of the travels that Paul and Timothy had together, all of the ministry that they did together, all of the problems that they encountered together, do you think there was ever a time where Paul and Timothy may have had a disagreement? Well, for sure they did. They had to have had countless disagreements because if they agreed about everything all of the time, one of them would be unnecessary. 
God makes different people, and the whole point of it is to have that. And so what happens is in this friendship, despite the fact that there were times where they likely had very, indeed, uh, disagreements of, of perhaps even a substantive nature, there was, at the bedrock of it, gospel loyalty and personal loyalty from Timothy to Paul. I have no one like him. Notice in verses 23 and 24, he says that he's essential. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Paul says, I'll send him to you, but I've got to find out how things go with my imprisonment first. Because he's essential for me right now. And Paul, as said earlier, he very much anticipates that he's going to get out of prison. In fact, he does get out of prison in this imprisonment. But, um, but he's not sure how or when that's going to happen yet. And so he's not going to send Timothy until he finds out how it's going to go with him. And once he does, once I find out, then I'll send him just as soon as I see how it'll go with me. In verse 24, he says, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come too. You know, I, I, want, to get, I want to get to see you as well. So there's an essential nature to Timothy's friendship here with Paul. Here's, here's some applications as we think about Struggling well in life, requiring selfless friends, who in your orbit are your selfless friends? Selfless friends. And then the next question by way of application that you need to answer is, to whom are you a selfless friend? You see how we need to look at both perspectives? Who are your selfless friends and to whom are you a selfless friend? Struggling well requires selfless friends. Well, in verses 25 to 30, we meet up with another person, Epaphroditus, and we see that struggling well requires caring servants. Caring servants. Verse 25 describes how Epaphroditus cares for Paul. Look at the descriptions he gives. My brother, and that's not just, it's not talking about a blood relative, he's saying is his brother in Christ. A, a sense of family, he's a part of a family. My fellow worker, it's a partnership in work. And my fellow soldier, it's a recognition that as Christians, we have to be on a war footing because our citizenship is not here, it is in heaven. And as a result, our mission here has to be done with the sense that there's a war going on, a war for people's souls, a war against what he describes in Ephesians as the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among the children of disobedience, that there's a war on. And Epaphroditus is my family member, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier in this work. Do you see how struggling well requires caring servants. Epaphroditus is one of those kinds of friends that is a caring servant. Not only is he that kind of way with the Apostle Paul, but look at how he is a caring servant toward the Philippians. 
end of verse 25, it says, He's your messenger and minister to my need. He cared enough about the Philippians to actually do something very hard that, he, that the Philippians asked Epaphroditus to do. Let me tell you the story. So, Paul was imprisoned in Rome, and after a few months in Rome, he ran out of money. He didn't have any money. And the people at Philippi heard about it, and even though they had huge problems, they had physical needs that were producing anxiety, they, be good, they were beginning to doubt if their Christian faith could sustain them. In that stress, people in the church were getting selfish. In particular, some of the influential women were not getting along. But because the Philippians saw the need to help Paul, they gathered up an offering that was a great sacrifice. It was a large gift of money. And they thought, well, how are we going to get it? This was before you could Venmo the money, right? They couldn't send the money to Paul. They couldn't wire transfer it. They couldn't. They picked a guy in the church. We'll pick Epaphroditus. And we will give him this large gift of money and we'll have him travel the hundreds of miles from Philippi to Rome with this gift. So, Epaphroditus takes off on his way to Rome with this large gift from the church to be able to uh, sustain the Apostle Paul. But on the way, which is something that happens in every short-term missions trip, something goes wrong. Uh, sometimes when I meet with short-term groups before they, uh, they go, I ask, well, what is it you're planning to do? They tell me what the plan is, and I go, well, you know, that's great, and I don't know what is going to go wrong, but something isn't going to happen the way you planned it to happen. It just is that way. That's how mission trips are. A uh, number of years ago, uh, we were on a short-term trip. In fact, the missionaries that we were serving with were here in the first service. Um, in Bolivia, we had taken a group from the Quad Cities down there to work on a church building, a construction project. Well, we get out in the middle of the country, in the middle of nowhere, and the guy who is the missionary in charge of the project comes down with hepatitis, and he is sick. I mean, he's as yellow as can be, and he's laying in bed, and he can't move. He's just like, and we go over to his bed, and we go, well, what should we do? And he goes, well, I don't know, maybe do this or that. <laughs> he fall asleep. We're in trouble. So we get a hold of Glenn, who was the guy who was here in the service, who was, was in the major city, and we said, we think we got some problems here, and we bailed on the trip. We kind of canceled what the project was we were doing, moved back to town. Well, now what do we do? And we come up with a game plan to be able to do a little bit of uh, helping each person see all the things that God's doing in this larger city of Santa Cruz, Bolivia. And as a result of that totally broken short-term missions trip, there was a couple on the trip who, when they went to all that survey of what was going on in the city, felt the call of God to be a long-term missionary in Santa Cruz, Bolivia, which would never have happened if 
the short-term trip hadn't completely blown up in our face, right? Um, and that's what happens to Epaphroditus. He's on his way with the large gift, and he falls ill, gravely ill, to the point of almost dying. That's another thing that happens when you're serving the Lord Jesus. People get sick, like this guy got hepatitis. That, that's part of it, right? Now, he's sick between Philippi and Rome, and somehow, the, uh, maybe he's on a main highway, but somebody traveling on the opposite direction is what I'm guessing, heads into Philippi, and tells people about how sick Epaphroditus is. And their question is, well, is he getting better? And the answer is, well, we don't know. We don't know if he lived or died. When we passed by him, he was sick and was pretty close to death. And that's where the church at Philippi is in their understanding of Epaphroditus. Did he, did he get better? Did he make it to Rome? Did he die? What happened to the large gift? All those questions are in their heads, right? Right? And so Paul, here, has been in prison for about a year. Epaphroditus did get better. He brought the gift to Paul, and now, and the gift was a great blessing. It saved Paul from the standpoint of his need for, for financial support. The news of the problems at Philippi are needing to be addressed, and Timothy can't come yet because Paul needs Timothy there still. And more and more people are abandoning Paul. There's this issue of all these people wanting to do stuff out of ill will. And so Paul decides to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi to be able to help them by sending them the letter that you now hold in your hands. Epaphroditus carries this letter back. And here what he says is, you are... Uh, he's saying to, to the church at Philippi, Epaphroditus is your messenger and minister to my need. He, he served me. He's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Somehow the word had gotten back to Rome that the Philippians knew that Epaphroditus was ill, but they didn't know how it turned out. And so somebody's got to get back there to tell them the news. Indeed, he was ill near to death. He wants to get back home. He thinks of the Philippians first when he thinks about his sickness. I don't know about you, but when I'm sick, I tend to think of myself first. He was distressed. Why? Because he had been sick and he wanted to tell the long tale of woe? No. He was distressed because he heard, you, you had heard that he was sick. And so... God had mercy on him, verse 27, and not only on him but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. God had mercy on him. Uh, notice, by the way here, this is an interesting point that we might want to note, there wasn't any miracle working by Paul here. Epaphroditus was sick, near to death, Nobody waved a hand over him or said, be healed in the name of Jesus. Um, none of that. He just eventually got better by God having mercy on him. 
And God had mercy, Paul says, on me also, because losing him would have brought sorrow upon sorrow for me. Notice verse 28, he bring, Epaphroditus brings joy to others and lowers anxiety. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. Can you imagine Epaphroditus coming back into Philippi after they thought maybe he was dead, and now he's back and he's alive and he's well? It's like how we feel about Ellie getting better from getting hit by the train. She, she's alive. You know, Epaphroditus, he's alive. Woo-hoo! Rejoice at seeing him again. And then Paul says, and that I might be less anxious. Less anxious about what? Less anxious about you guys being worried about him. Epaphroditus brings joy to others and lowers the anxiety in the room. Verses 29 and 30, don't overlook such friends. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Receive with all joy. So often we fail to celebrate God's goodness and we're just on to the next thing. We go, oh yeah, that was good. Yeah, 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 God did a good thing there. But off to the next thing we're doing. And, and Paul says, no, 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 pause here for a moment. And celebrate this thing that God has done. Receive him with all joy and honor such men. What does it mean to honor such people? People who take these kinds of risks out of friendship and love for Jesus. Honor them. And why do that? He nearly died for the work of Christ. A willingness to say, my life is forfeit for Jesus. And he risked his life to complete what was lacking in the Philippian service. They couldn't, they couldn't fulfill their desire to meet Paul's need without Epaphroditus taking the gift to Rome. He fulfilled what was lacking in their service to Paul. So what we have here are two friends, a selfless friend in Timothy and a caring servant in Epaphroditus. What are we to make of that? Well, here at East White Oak, we have what are called pathways of discipleship. You're in one of them right now, our worship service. But we also have Bible fellowships for people of all ages. And those are smaller groups where you get to know one another and care for one another. And beyond that, we have small groups where people can grow really deeply in their friendships with one another and have the kind of intimacy that the Bible longs for everybody to experience. And so this morning, the question, do you have such selfless friends, such caring servants in your life? And are you such a selfless friend and caring servant to others? It is my encouragement to you that if you engage in those pathways of discipleship, you will both be that for others and receive it from others. This morning, we live in a world that's increasingly, some of it due to the factors of the pandemic, some of it due to our own habits related to the use of our phones, some of it due to just the increasingly technological era we live in creating a sense of isolation. And there are all kinds of counterfeits 
for the kinds of friendships that the Bible's describing here in these verses. We can think that by the fact that we have uh, people who like some comment we make on social media, or we have someone say, uh, make a comment about how wonderful we are or what have you, that that is filling up for us this longing that every human being has for selfless friends and caring servants. I don't mean to suggest or to diminish that there isn't an aspect of truth in that, but I do want to say that it's mostly fool's gold. It's not real. And what we need are real friendships, both the giving of them of ourselves to others and the receiving of such selfless acts from others to us. And the way we do that here is by engaging in those pathways of discipleship, joining together as we worship, experiencing life together in our Bible fellowships, and having the intimacy of caring and serving one another in our small groups. It's important to acknowledge, too, that this is something that needs to be missional. We don't just have friends for the sake of having friends or for the sake of serving others or for the sake of, of being served. It is about mission. It is about making an impact for Christ in our world. And so the question that you have to ask is not just, do I have caring, uh, selfless friends? Do I have caring servants in my life? You may have them, but then the question you've got to ask is, and are we together making an impact for the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because when that's absent, it's kind of like, well, it's all about us, isn't it? It's not about Jesus. This morning, make a commitment that in this next year, you're going to engage in those pathways of discipleship so that you'll be able to be that caring Uh, servant, that selfless friend to others, that you'll get acquainted with people who will be your selfless friends and caring servants. And together, you'll make an impact for Christ and the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, we want to thank you for showing us how Paul is a real person in a real place with real needs. He had real friends in Timothy and Epaphroditus. Would you help us to be on mission for you and in doing that, that we would be both a selfless friend and caring servant to others and be ready to receive the selfless friendship and caring service of others toward us. And we pray that we would do this in the context of serving Jesus Christ and his kingdom that it wouldn't just be about being entertained or being happy or fulfilled, but it would indeed be about making Christ known in the world and seeking to have others come to know Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would help those today who have never put their faith in Christ to think about the fact that Abraham believed you and he was called God's friend. 
So I pray that people all over this room and those that are in the sound of my voice via live stream would, if they've never put their faith in Jesus, that they would say, Lord, I, I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus to forgive me of my sin. I would ask him to forgive me by what he did at the cross so that I may have eternal life and be God's friend too. Now, Lord, we pray for the ministries of our church to be effective in the development of such relationships in our worship service, in our Bible fellowships, and in our small groups. And we pray that there would be a fresh commitment to those three avenues, pathways of discipleship among the members and friends of East White Oak in 2022. For your glory, we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.